Hello, I'm Matthew Burrett. And I'm Taylor Romans, and this is Hard Beeswax, Experiences in Waldorf Education. This week on Hard Beeswax, Matthew and I spoke with Melissa Frischkoff, a Waldorf alum from the Hawthorne Valley Waldorf School. If you are enjoying listening to these episodes, please consider helping us continue this work by making contributions to the show. You can do this through our website and our Patreon account by making one-time donations, or if you could, consider making monthly contributions, which goes to support our work here at the Hard Beeswax Podcast Studio. If a financial contribution is not in the cards, please consider sharing our episodes with friends, family, or anyone else you think might enjoy what we are doing here at the podcast. We thank you all for listening. We realize that we are just two individuals who are part of this global educational movement, and we want to be very clear that we are only speaking from our own experiences and from our own impressions. We do not presume to speak for the Waldorf movement as a whole. Well, Melissa Frischkoff, thank you so much for joining us here on the Hard Beeswax podcast. I know it's always really fun for us when people who we don't know reach out, and it's it's very exciting. I was yeah. like a little bit titillated. Like, oh, it's a new person. This is so fun. I'm not just calling my old teachers to, to ask them to come on the podcast. Yeah, or our best friends, like, please, please. <laughs> or our best friends. <laughs> so thank you so much for being here. It's awesome to be here pretty exciting. Yeah. So when you heard the title Hard Beeswax, what did that conjure for you? Oh, the classic, uh, the classic drop back into childhood, I think, (laughs) immediate, uh, knowing what that is. I was homeschooled from, so I went to like a Waldorf inspired preschool Mm -hmm. or and then I was homeschooled sort of kindergarten, first, second grade age. Um, but my mom went to Waldorf school and did like a one-year seminary in Stuttgart. And my dad um, was like, he wasn't quite in his journey to become a Waldorf teacher, but I but was also a Waldorf alum and my grandparents were. All, so it was definitely a Waldorf homeschool experience. So we had plenty of hard beeswax um, <laughs> that we were messing around with in, in our little co-op too. What was your warming strategy? Um, definitely the armpits. And um, I also, yeah, def- like in the palms of my hands. It It's a good sort of sensory thing. And actually recently my partner and I were like, we're just like, sometimes we're just like hanging out at home it's sort of the winter time need to do something with our hands like get some fidgets and i was like maybe we should just get some hard beeswax in here that's awesome yeah. that's really that's great so let's go back in time then you kind of alluded to the fact that your grandparents had been involved in Waldorf education both of your parents mm-hmm. had been Waldorf students themselves and then come to you do you, what were your early life memories like of being in a home that you said was really steeped in the Waldorf tradition? Um, 
probably everything. But, uh, yeah, it was definitely a very Waldorf home. There was one computer in the house that my dad used uh, sometimes. Um, everything. There were silks all over the place. There were, uh, yeah, all all of these different activities, I think, all of yeah, all of my experiences. A lot of play outdoors. We had like a a shared garden space with some of the community members that had gnomes and fairies uh, living there, and we played. Yeah, everywhere outside. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think, I think my, I think it just was all my whole, like my seven year beginning was all pretty much stewed in that magical um elemental world mm-hmm. that is Waldorfy. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So then what is your um what is your first memory then of being in a classroom or in a learning space, right? You said you went to a Waldorf inspired preschool? Yeah. Um yeah, I remember the preschool pretty well. I it was pretty a small group of like a couple of friends that then went through, I like reconnected with once I went to the Waldorf school um, in third grade. But I remember like all these wooden accessories to build and there all these little like, um, like sort of tree stumps to mm-hmm. set up in different ways to mm-hmm. play around in and, like ah, tree stumps. Love the tree stumps. Yes. <laughs> tree stumps. I'm constantly on the hunt on my own property for tree stumps like the ones I had. And I don't know what it was. I don't know where they found these tree stumps, but they were perfectly gnarled while also being soft and like a little bit yeah. glossy. I, I just, one of a kind. Well, there's an in, there's an international watch. black market in tree stumps. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to get it in with one of it's a dark waldorf web of tree stumps and (laughs) other sundry items i'm imagining the book illustrated by elsa beskow (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing so you you're sorry go ahead oh no that another like fond memory i guess from preschool is just like being clothed from head to toe in rain gear and then we had a mud pit like that was intentionally for just rolling around and getting ourselves completely fully muddy oh absolutely have you right i mean there's no bad weather there's just bad clothes right (laughs) yeah exactly nice i definitely have memories of some of my earliest like bouts of stubbornness being around outerwear (laughs) yeah you know, like I don't want to wear the coat or I had issues finding shoes that fit me. And I just remember like refusing to wear my shoes and just sitting on the bench livid because my teacher wouldn't let me play because I wasn't wearing my shoes in the winter. <laughs> but it is amazing like that. That's such a distinguishing thing of like putting, you know, putting children out in the world as long as they're clothed properly. Right. Again, it's like they're just yeah. in it. Mm. Yeah. I-, I can imagine, Melissa, you're your family life must have also been very intensely involved around festival life and seasons. Cause that's something mm-hmm. for Waldorf families. I think there's a particular emphasis placed on, on that with, you know, maybe the silks changing and, and the colors changing. Maybe so a nature on. table. Yes. Yeah. Yes, definitely had a nature table. And my, 
my mom doing like homeschooling mothering things uh got the whole neighborhood involved and so there was like a old the the neighborhood that I lived in up until I was probably like eight or nine was this old hippie sort of commune that got built up into just like a neighborhood and so there was around a center central uh um, like park playground area. And then there is also like this old firehouse from when the space was used for something else. But this old firehouse was just like an abandoned garage wow. um, that was sort of like a useful space for whatever. So my mom said, all right, we're inviting this whole, like, I don't know, 50 houses worth of people to come do an advent spiral with us oh, in, nice. the, in the firehouse or we're going to create a May Day celebration and put a maypole up in the middle of the um, green space. And all the like all the new age hippies are going to come and play their instruments and we're going <laughs> to dance around and play with flowers that we dumpster dive from the flower <laughs> shop. Yeah. Like, um, but that's, yeah, so those festivals, my mom was really intentional about bringing that into our experience, even though we weren't directly part of like a Waldorf community at that time. She just said, well, OK, I'm going to do these things and invite the neighbors into it. And that's like still when I go back and visit that neighborhood and those families, those are all memories that the neighbors have, even though they don't really have much relationship to the Waldorf world otherwise. They're like, oh, yeah, remember when we did these things? Um, That's so that amazing. was cool. It was really special. Yeah. It, I think that is so yeah. special. I think so many people maybe feel paralyzed to not start community because they don't, like, they feel alone in it. But I think so many people are just waiting for an invitation. Yeah. And that when the invitation comes, it's so it's so beautiful, and it kind of people will go along with whatever the the premise is of okay, you know, we're we're dancing around a maypole, we're playing music, amazing, great, we're together. It's there's yeah, that's that's a really what a cool thing for you to witness as a kid, right? Yeah, I think of those things as children we we watch our parents do that are yeah. so formative without us really realizing that. For mm -hmm. me, my mom always talked to strangers. Mm. I remember being in an airport mm -hmm. when I was about eight and like somehow we met these three random people and we all went and ate hamburgers together in an airport and they were like walked them to their gates and said goodbye. And mm. it was only later that I learned that other people didn't do that. And mm. that was something just that my mother had in her spirit and those things like that's and, and it's so cool now to hear that you're working in community. Right. And that community is such a big part of your life. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. I, I think it also shows a, a, one of the real strengths of people attracted or, or into the Waldorf movement are, are people who initiate community building as well. Because yeah. almost everybody yeah. that I think of, you know, had that ability to be like, oh, the, the genuine care to be like, oh, who are you? And I, I want to meet you. And, and yeah, let's open. Yeah. Let's open the gates for you. Yeah. So then what was your transition like of starting the grades in homeschooling and maybe having a certain understanding of, okay, this is what school is, or this is what education is from that. And then going into a maybe more traditional Waldorf classroom, what was that transition like for you? Um, I, I think it, it wasn't, 
I don't know. I guess the the transition into the Waldorf classroom, the difference was there were many more children, which is sort of ironic because for most people, <laughs> Waldorf schools are pretty small, at least in the U.S. Um, and so there were 20 kids instead of like the seven or eight kids that I homeschooled with. So it felt bigger. And then, of course, that's it's a whole school. So there are all these different grades. Mm. So. Um, I think that sort of social element was significant for me. Um, and yeah, and there were, there were, I think the actual learning was a little bit of a transition for me to figure out how do I, like, how do I learn? How do I figure out how to understand cursive or whatever, wherever we were? Um, when I don't have as like I have it's a bigger um, ratio of staff teachers to yeah. mm. or kids to teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was a challenge to. Yeah, to to find myself in this bigger space and like gain knowledge and experience from my teachers without like making it all about me because there were all these other kids, too. Right. Um, but. I, yeah, I was only at that school, at the Lake Champlain Waldorf School, which is in mm. Burlington, Vermont, mm-hmm. for a year for my third grade. And then my dad got a job at Hawthorne Valley. And so we moved to Hawthorne Valley in fourth grade for my fourth grade, which was my younger sibling Dove's uh, first grade. So Dove was at kindergarten at Lake Champlain for one year and then went with me, mm-hmm. with all of us, yeah. to Hawthorne Valley. Yeah. What? Have you spoken with your your parents and your and and gotten an understanding of of from their perspective why they transition from homeschooling to putting you in the classroom or in a more traditional in a bigger school I guess I should say Yeah um I I think they always or they like had wanted me to be in in the Walder school and it was mostly a financial decision yeah. why we weren't there sooner. Um, and like at that point, my dad was starting to do a couple classes teaching at the school. So it made it more accessible for us. Um, yeah, but I don't, I don't, and I, my mom was doing a couple sort of like sitting in on some handwork classes, I think mm. doing some things. Um, yeah. I'm not totally I don't know if there was a specific reason there probably was that I don't know exactly about, but yeah. Well, you're, you'll have to say hello to your father for me. We were, we were colleagues in teacher training together. So yeah, I will. <laughs> you mentioned that. Did you guys do your with me together? <laughs> um, we were in a math class, if I remember correctly, we might've done some year with me, but I just remember Simon in the, with me in the math, a class with Jamie York, yeah. Nice, nice, amazing. All these connections. Yeah. So then, it's the Waldorf world. It is the Waldorf world. My my parents have a guest book of mm. like all the people who stayed with us over all of those years, and you know, of course, some of them have like watercolor paintings. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, all these different, you know, these little tastes. Someone like drew a viola. I mean, it was just, uh, it's it's an amazing. It, again, it's just an amazing community, an amazing world. Yeah. So then when you went, to, you went to Hawthorne Valley, correct? 
Yes. And so then when you got to Hawthorne Valley as a fourth grader, what was that like joining a class that was, you know, a couple, maybe halfway through their journey of those eight years? What was that experience like for you coming in? Um, it was, it was tough. I was definitely homesick for like a year. I was really, really missing the community that I had in Vermont. And, um, I think it, in, I think it hit Dove, my younger sibling harder in some ways, but for me, I think it was a tough transition. And, um, there were like, weird clicky things that I wasn't so used to. Um, I, I've always been sort of like social ish and go with, go with what, go with what comes up. Mm -hmm. Um, so fourth and fifth grade was, was all right. And we, um, the teacher that we had was holding us for a while, but there was also a lot of trauma already that the class had experienced. Two people had lost parents by the time I came in, in fourth grade. Um, And that sort of pattern, unfortunately, continued through our, like our class lost a lot of parents throughout our years together. Mm. Um, And so that, yeah, I think our class was holding a lot, um, a lot. And, um, and in, sort of, I think six, well, so in, after fifth grade, our class teacher, um, left us pretty abruptly and we didn't really like a, it was like a weird situation of how we all found out that Mm -hmm. we weren't going to have the same class teacher, uh, who had been doing a lot to hold all of these different challenges that our class had. Um, we had also a couple, um, classmates who like not that they had lost parents but they also had other sort of social emotional needs that were pretty dramatic yeah um and so when we suddenly lost our like guiding guidepost teacher holding teacher we got got a new teacher in for sixth grade and we were all very resentful of him because he wasn't the person that we were used to and um and our social group was really like we had a lot more bullying or like and clickiness happening there, I mm-hmm. think, because we were all just like trying to survive. Yeah. So socially, um, it was a bit rough, the transition to Hawthorne Valley. And I think um, and I made a lot of really wonderful connections and relationships and um, had relatively like a pretty good experience at Hawthorne Valley. Um, compared to a lot of the other people. And that, I think, has continued through I, my experience. I've been lucky in how I've sort of, like, smooth, smoothly cruised through, yeah. mm-hmm. where it's been a lot more rocky for other people that I care about that went through that system. I really appreciate you sharing that. And just honestly, my my class was very similar. We... Mm-hmm. Um, the losses for us came later, but we had we lost two parents by the end of eighth grade and then a sibling and a parent by 12th grade. And um, when I look at how we were as a group behaviorally, I can't help but think about the kind of like emotional implosion that happens 
in the wake of something like that, where it's almost like we were all there with our backs to each other fighting the world. And um, there was such fierce love and fierce protection, but um, it really required a very specific, intentional and strong adult presence to kind of channel that mm-hmm. that force. And, you know, I think this is something, it just brings up something so fascinating for me, which is that people come to Waldorf education for an ideal. And the reality is that your, you know, your child may be in a, in a group that is struggling, you know, and, and you may have, um, you know, your child may have classmates who, um, who take up a lot of space and need a lot of, of attention and help. And I think there's a question as parents of, you know, do you, do you trust that there's a reason that all of these children were brought into a room together and that mm-hmm. what whoever's teaching them was there with them? Do you trust that? Do you surrender to that in a way? Or is that something that needs to be changed? I don't know. I mean, I think that's always a struggle for every school is to how to best realize the ideal, because no matter what happens, you know, life is, well, you'll, you'll always be trying to live up to that ideal. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I think this idea of that there's karmic relationships that put people together in certain situations is a very valuable, one of those anthroposophical foundational ideas that, you know, maybe an argument or a fight or something between two people was actually meant to happen and was supposed to be set up, you know, long time ago for something to happen. It's, it's a different way to look at, at discipline and those kinds of um, questions. I, I think that's almost a whole topic in itself. So I don't want to go too far afield. I actually, (laughs) Melissa, going back for you and your journey, um, I'm wondering about the transition. You seem to have transitioned to Hawthorne Valley really close to middle school and then middle school and then your high school journey. How was the transition from into middle school and then into high school for you? Yeah, I think the the transition to middle school was defined for my class and for me by this like switch of teachers that now I know some schools are, and Hawthorne Valley is one of them, are sort of doing intentionally that there's, mm-hmm. Like there are more main lesson teachers for the middle school cohort, um, which was not the norm when I was there, but just sort of happened because we switched teachers. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I think middle school felt, I also starting in seventh grade, like started to be in organized athletics, which was Mm. um, significant. So I felt, um, I think some growth in middle school. Oh, I can't forget about fourth grade. My fourth grade experience was really special at Hawthorne Valley because we all had a cow to take care of. Oh, yeah. Because of Hawthorne Valley's farm. Yeah. Right across the road. And so we each got to have a cow that we went with and we, and we curry combed and we fed and we, and if, if our cow had babies, then we got to name the the calves. And so that's a really special thing that we had at Hawthorne Valley. Oh, that's that incredible. Really, I yeah. loved so, so much. Who was your um, cow? That connection. Um, I actually had two. Um, and one, the one that I, that I remember more was Salome, 
who was like a little bit of like a, she was a little uh, tough to be around sometimes, but we had a really good relationship. And uh, I would definitely go back like, and I don't know if we were supposed to, but some of us uh, Waldorf kids would like run across the road and go visit the cows or like go pretend that we were farm hands when school was <laughs> over and like going out at the farm. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that was special. The Hawthorne Valley Farm is really special. I, I remember it because I, I went there in, in third grade. My mm. Walter school, we would go up and from Green Meadow, we'd go up to Hawthorne Valley and spend a week for the oh, farm block, you know. cool. So, but yeah, we didn't, we didn't get cows or anything. <laughs> yeah, you weren't special enough. <laughs> we were not special enough. <laughs> so I'm curious for you as a middle school student, you know, such a, like, what in the classroom were you drawn toward? Were there subjects that were easier for you or more exciting for you and others that were more challenging? What was your experience maybe academically in middle school? Um, I, I think I sort of, I like, I don't have a specific memory of what was like really awesome or what was challenging. I think um, so much of my world was sort of socially defined yes. at that time. Yeah. Um, so the academics was just like, oh, this is what we do when we're sitting in class. But like, really, like, it's about who likes who or yeah. like <laughs> what song this person made. We had a really musical class. Um, we had two, two of my classmates' parents were professional or are professional musicians and um, and so, like, by starting in sixth grade, something that I think was really smart that our new teacher brought in was uh, Mr. Sansoni. Like, first probably week or two, he just like drilled guitar hooks into our classroom wall so that we had four guitars available for all kids. So, um, so not so only- <laughs> academically, I don't know. Like, academically, I remember projects that we did. Mm. Um, I remember like that we all took a sort of like culture to talk about, I think in seventh grade. And I looked at like Celtic sort of foods or things because I had red hair. So I was like identifying with that, even though I don't really have any (laughs) heritage to Ireland or Scotland or anywhere. But uh, yeah, I think, I think most of my memories were sort of social or um, or like class trips that we took. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Were important. Um, and eighth grade was, yeah, and, and, and like projects, like seventh grade we did a circus. Oh, cool. Um, a seventh grade circus, and that was really like special, and the plays. I think mm-hmm. those sorts of like yeah. more physical embodied activities are the things that I remember the plays and the circus and the yeah um we did like a class canoe trip in eighth grade which was felt a little bit disastrous at the time but makes for wonderful stories now (laughs) I feel Um, like every eighth grade trip needs either a weather catastrophe a health catastrophe like there's just always oh yeah Oh, yeah. Teenagers need to fight up against something. And it's better if it's the weather than adults. (laughs) It's true. Yeah, we had tarps in a torrential rainstorm. And I think 
almost everyone in the class was completely soaked and we ended up sleeping on a bus, which, you know, of course, in the middle of the night, there was no organization of like who went where. And so it was looking back a disastrous yeah. <laughs> setup, but, um, but it had made an impression. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then at this point, coming out of middle school, was there any conversation in your family about whether or not you would go on to the high school or was that an expectation? It was, it was an expectation. There were a lot, I mean, we talked about it because I had a lot of classmates who were moving out of Hawthorne Valley. Um, I had a lot of people who were going to either the public school or other private schools. Um, And so it was clear that those were options that could happen, but it was, my dad was a teacher at the, at Hawthorne Valley. Um, it was like where my grandparents had taught. It was just like, yeah. you, you're going to go here. Yeah. If it's really a problem, we'll talk about it yeah. later, mm-hmm. but you're going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we had like a little application to get into the high school, but it was like, you're just gonna cruise on through Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was a sad it was like a tough time because uh because of the changes in this like in the classroom like the the people leaving yes Mm -hmm. um, did you get new classmates coming in yeah 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 we did and we had a couple uh because Hawthorne Valley is about two, two and a half hours north of New York City, we had some people who were like boarding students mm. from New York City who were living in the community, like on the weekdays and coming to Hawthorne Valley and then go back down to the city for the weekends. Mm. Um, so that started happening in uh, ninth grade, which was interesting for me because I think it's so it's such like a rural isolated place. And then there are these people who are like from the city and, and know all the city things. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Like this whole new social learning. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think we also had, I can't remember. We had two students who were boarding from China. Oh um, yeah. So and one, yeah, one international student from Taiwan was in the class below us. And then we had uh, an international student for like a year from Afghanistan. There was another Afghani family who was um, in the class below us and a couple classes above us. Uh, but yeah, I think I... Yeah, there was there were there were more like new faces starting in high school and and a co- and like the older class the classes above us became more important. Mm-hmm. I was I was close to the class like right below us and the class right above us because I was doing sports with them and we were yeah. always hanging out for like we had chorus together and we had orchestra like some of these classes we mm-hmm. did together. Mm-hmm. Um, but starting in high school, yeah, there was more. There were more mixing. We had um, our languages were split, like we're combining another grade with us mm. through in high school too. So, yeah. So there was more happening. Nice. Socially. 
I feel like that's a piece of so many Waldorf high schools is even though the class size is small, the intermingling between the grades really allows for a lot of that kind of expansive learning new people, you know, kind Mm of um, being exposed to, you know, what are the older kids thinking about? What are the younger kids thinking about? Um, Mm -hmm. That's that's cool. So what was what was high school like for you? How was how was high school? High school was fine for me. Um, (laughs) I was just like, I'm a great Waldorf kid. I grew up Waldorf. I'm going into high school. It works out great. Like, um, I really loved the, um, I loved our English classes. I loved the books that we were reading. Um, I loved, yeah, some of, I think I like, was well primed for some more of like the esoteric pieces that touch down into high school. So like loving talking about Parsifal and what does that actually mean? And like, what are all these different um, elements? Mm -hmm. I think probably because of conversations I grew up with in my family uh, that some of that vocabulary made sense to me. Um, And I like, and I was totally fine with, the sort of like Waldorf education style of prompting us sort of like uh, for the answers, doing a little bit of a Socratic method in that Mm -hmm. way that a lot of, especially some of the classmates that came in for high school from other more conventional school systems Mm -hmm. were really frustrated with. I remember having conversations where like a classmate was like, no, but what is the answer? Like in thermodynamics, like, what do you mean? Like, I need to know if cold exists, like, tell me what that means. And the teacher's like, well, what do you think? Like, these are the things that we know. No, what do we mean? Like, what is the answer? Um, And I was like, okay, like, we'll figure it out. But I definitely had classmates who were like, no, this is not working for my, I need the black and white. I need the, like, that ninth grade yeah uh, solid yes or no um <laughs> you know which i was just like blah, blah, blah. um but yeah so academically it was fine um i i think i got a lot i yeah. got a lot from things ninth grade was great i feel like uh 10th grade i went my first semester of 10th grade, I was in Germany. In nice. Oh, you went on exchange? A, yeah, exchange program there. And sorry, where, where um, did you go again? Program, I was just direct. Oh, Freiburg? Yeah. Freiburg, uh, Freiburg. Yeah, Freiburg. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that was a wonderful experience. That was really... I, I think I, I was able to get out of the role that I, like, had accepted from my class that we... Yes. Most yeah. of us get like when you're in a Waldorf class for a while, everybody knows you as this person. And yeah. I was I felt like I was a bit of the like social glue, trying to keep everyone sort of together, um, trying to be friends with everybody and also like very. Yeah, I fell into a little bit of like a class clown, maybe. Um, and in in Germany, I was like very quiet, like getting to know what was going on. And I was like, wow, 
I don't think I've ever been this quiet in my life. Like, this is <laughs> I can observe what's going on around me when I'm not like the center of things, um, which yeah. was cool. It's a great way of putting it. Yeah. And so I think I learned, yeah, I learned a lot about myself. I learned some German um, and, and I learned what Waldorf, like the, a Waldorf school could look like in a different context. It was really, yeah, was it like, a large I was school? really inspired by how much involvement the students had in um, decision-making yeah. at the Waldorf school there, the high school like had, I think even the middle school had like a very strong student government mm. uh, in Germany. And we like my class had always been sort of trying to get that to happen at Hawthorne Valley and never really. There were like five of us who were all trying to do drama club and trying to do like athletics and trying to do like all of the things. And so we didn't have a lot of capacity to do mm. everything that we wanted to do. But I was like really inspired that the students had so much agency and, and the parents also had like a very organized parent government sort of mm. thing. So there are these like three social um, representative groups that would all come together and talk about decisions that were important at the high school. So um, mm. that was something that I took away for sure. I was like, wow, I wish that this could happen mm -hmm. at Hawthorne Valley when I came back and, yeah. We tried some things, but it was again, like there weren't it wasn't really there wasn't really the student body to do that. Um Was it a large and, school in Freiburg? Was it a large school? Yeah. Yeah, there were uh I think there are three Waldorf schools in Freiburg. Uh. And each school, the school that I went to had we had in that 10th grade two like two parallel groups of like 30 kids. So mm -hmm. it was, yeah, much bigger than my experience. In yeah. In, in my exchange in Bochum, we were actually triple tracked. We had three, three parallel classes per grade. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. crazy. Cool. And we would, and what was cool in the high school. Um, so my mom's, the sidetrack, my mom's, father had his second family in northern Germany and so when I was little we went and visited there um for a couple weeks I think it also my third grade year um and they had like this track their tracked system in their Waldorf school too and then but they were just like they were stuck with their track all the way through uh, like mm. you stay with your group, obviously mm -hmm. from first grade to eighth grade. And in the high school, there was some like swapping, swapping around. So we had like our track for the general classes and then like the arts blocks, um, was split up into three groups. So there were smaller mm. groups. And so you got mm -hmm. to spend time with other people that weren't in your track all the time. Um, anyways, I thought that was nice too, that there was a little more social, yeah fluidity mm -hmm. nice nice so when you came back from exchange did you feel like there was a little bit of hey this is me now <laughs> you know when you came back into your class or what was that um what was that like for you um maybe i think 
I came back and my exchange came with me. Mm. Um, so the rest of my like 10th grade was also like identified as me and my exchange together. And we were really close mm. um, by that time. And so that was really good. And also I think like my identity was just like, like we were sort of lumped together mm-hmm. in that, um, which was great. And mm-hmm. I think it, yeah, I think it would have looked different if I would, if there was maybe a little space in between that um, mm-hmm. to be identified. But yeah, talk a little bit about your upper school, high school years, and maybe your senior project. Okay, um, I. Well, yeah, 11th grade was a lot of looking at schools, looking at colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. All Every year in high school, we had new people coming to, the, to our class. Um, and the same, I think even for middle school, there were like people coming and going all the way through. We weren't really at like one solid group all the way through. There were a couple of us that stayed. Mm-hmm. Um so socially that was the um whatever oh senior project senior project yeah i did a i wanted to do something that was going to be helpful for the school mm. um or for somebody um so i started yeah, so I like asked around different teachers and um we I had experienced this and the teachers were asking for this. So um I looked for resources for integrating ind- indigenous history mm. um into the curriculum in sort of like a pedagogical pedagogically like relevant way. Mm-hmm. Um and my senior project was definitely unfinished. It was like, I was just starting off on some of this and it was like, I would get pulled into, oh my gosh, like what does Steiner say about first grade through second grade mm. and why they're learning these stories. And so I'd get like into that little hole and then I'd be like, well, what stories could we find? And then I get into like, is it culturally appropriate for teachers to be telling stories at what time, like when they're indigenous stories and do they need to be local? So there were a lot of these, like um, it was a lot of thinking and considering and talking to um, indigenous friends that I had made or other like mm-hmm. community members that there's a teacher training program that happens on site at Hawthorne Valley too. Mm-hmm. And so I was talking to Patrick Stolfo, who's one of yeah. the teachers, oh, yeah. teachers there. I know him. Yep. Um, so we were talking, he also taught some classes at Hawthorne Valley. So I had known him as like a teacher, but he also, I knew he knew a lot about Waller pedagogy. So there were a lot of different conversations that yeah. I was having. And that sort of was my project. I like, I was like, well, I haven't come to any conclusions. I have a couple of resources that I can hand over to some of the teachers, but uh, my big dream at the beginning of the project was to like have a book that like people could just go flip through and reference and be like, yeah. okay, I'm doing a geography block. I'm going to just pull from this, but uh, it's way more 
complex and challenging to navigate that and make sense why it's hard for teachers who don't have time anyways to find that as well. Mm. Um, I, I'm so curious because yeah. in listening to you talk, you, you are obviously familiar with some of the whys behind the curriculum, right? You definitely yeah. have that. Did that knowledge come from the research you did around your project or was that something you'd heard your parents talking about or just heard around your home like how how did you because you would i mean it shocks me how many of of my classmates i talked to and they're like oh yeah like waldorf it's like the painting thing and uh then there's like the books and uh, the main lesson books and and there's really no it was like it just never crossed their mind that there was this whole other layer below. So where did that come in for you? I think I think it was definitely like at home learning that. But I also so I like I knew there was some reason uh, for things happening. And and then, yeah, for my senior project, I was reading some like Steiner texts and I was like, all oh, this is going over my head. I don't really know what's going on. Um, <laughs> I feel that but, way all, all the, the time. time. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> but I started to but then I was having conversations like uh like with Patrick Stolfo. And I think even I guess some of it also came in in our Parseval block hmm. um hmm. talking about some things because Eric Mueller was teaching that and he's also a Waldorf uh, an Alkion teacher. And so he, anyways, I think we were getting a little bit of that. And I think more of it was coming from home, but, but I always saw there was always like, okay, we're doing black and white drawing for our Moby Dick, like main lesson book. Mm -hmm. And we're also doing black and white drawing as an arts block. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about things that are like, it, like I think, I think I was able to recognize there were some patterns happening in each of the years mm -hmm. um, that everything was tying back together, and I noticed that. I think now I just like make those connections for myself, even if they don't really exist, yeah. or maybe yeah. they do. But yeah. I'm just I'm like in college, I was always like I'm in these like four different classes that all are unrelated in theory, but we end up talking about the same things huh. yeah. in these classes that I'm all together. And so I, I don't know, I, I maybe just draw those connections, but I, a lot was, a lot was informed by my parents and my grandparents yeah. like talking about these things. That's cool. I have another question about your senior project. And I think, I think it's so amazing to hear you go through this process because I think you're right. I think that is what a lot of teachers face is like, I want to do this, but I want to do it pedagogically. Right. And then, yeah. and then we'll, well, how do you do it? And, and when do you do it? And where do you do it? And do you, and, and so were there, um, maybe like, what are some of the glimmers that you concluded from your project of like, you know, if you could speak to, to any of it, because I just think it's such a fascinating topic that I think is being talked about a lot in Waldorf yeah. schools right. right now. And what's appropriate, yeah. too. Yeah, and what's appropriate. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I think especially since my graduating, there have been a lot more, like, I, 
I don't know, at least in the Hawthorne Valley community, there, there's been a lot more work to, to actually intentionally do this. Um, the pieces that, that were pretty clear to me were that history is great and very important to talk about. Like history, if you're just talking about like historical events, there is no like, there, there's there's none of like the spiritual uh, sensitivity or there's less of the spiritual sensitivity that you have to like navigate to talk about factual his, historical situations. And so when you're when we're looking at um, when and that comes up in the older grades, mm-hmm. right, that we're talking about history of why why we're here, where we are. Um, what's going on that can come in a lot easier than bringing in like when, when story ta- stories would be used or fairy tales would be used, which fairy tales can we use instead or in conjunction? And I think where I sort of, what I sort of concluded is even in New York state where people have were displaced very early on sort of in relation to uh, European colonization. There are a lot of people still in the communities still around who have a lot of knowledge and a lot of um, yeah a, lo- a lot that they can bring and so inviting those people into, the communities is the best way. And like Mm -hmm. in Santa Fe, it's really (laughs) awesome because uh, I lived in, in Thoreau and in Albuquerque for a little while. Oh, nice. um, A couple of years ago. And it's just, it's so different to be in the Southwest where people are living, are living right there and have contained or intentionally been able to connect with their, history and with their culture and have it be a current experience of culture um where i think people on the northeast uh it it feels a lot more historical like Mm -hmm. their like relation to culture which isn't always necessarily true there are reservations there's like a reservation probably two hours away from hawthorne valley uh, in Connecticut, but it's not like federally recognized. It's just like a Connecticut recognized. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's yeah, it's very a different. little. It seems shrouded yeah, a little bit and more remote. It's a little more shrouded, and like the the archaeological sites are like delegitimized. There are all these like rock walls that everyone's like, oh, it's just the Europeans who came and built little rock walls for their sheep pastures and. If you look at them or if you talk to indigenous people from the area, it's pretty clear that that's not what all these rock walls are. They're really awesome sites of that are like spiritual mounds and and snake mm. rocks and mm. um but it's just all it's like yeah, it's it's been so it's a different it's a different colonization experience there. And they're mm-hmm. like all of these treaties that were established with, with England were, uh, although no treaties were really listened to <laughs> anywhere. 
in, the ones that were established with England were then automatically void when the revolution happened. Yeah. So oh. that's why also Canada, the Northeast, Northeast, like Northeastern communities, indigenous communities in Canada look totally different than Northeastern communities in the U S even if that are really kind of the originally similar communities, mm. but their treaties were recognized differently in Canada versus the U S because the revolution completely like disqualified everything. Oh. Um, once America became established. I didn't realize so that. There's, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But that's like history that's relevant to that area that I didn't learn, honestly, until after I graduated and like after my whole um, senior project. That's yeah. like more that I have learned. My mom has done a lot more connecting mm. to that. She like sort of took my senior project and went <laughs> all the way with that too. Cool. Um, but yeah, ultimately yeah. I guess the answer is inviting people in and, and making, and that doesn't just mean like inviting people to come share stories once in a while with the kindergartners or with the lower school. It's also, are there ways that, we can have scholarships for people in this in these communities if they want to be actually part of this. Yeah, uh, in our community not being mm-hmm. inaccessible and making yeah. So there's all of these different elements. The Pine Ridge ele- ed, uh, Reservation mm-hmm. has done a lot of really cool things with their Waldorf School. Yeah. Um. So there's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot, but um, yes. I'm glad that I did that senior project because it opened up again all of this for me yeah. for my personal experience and, mm-hmm. um and i think the community yeah. ultimately has gotten some ripple effects from that at hawthorne valley great that's really amazing but there was a lot of social I, yeah anyways i think the high school experience was sort of comfortable for me and definitely uncomfortable for a lot of my peers and definitely like there were definitely some traumas that people experienced from the European colonial sort of history of Waldorf education yeah. um, mm. and some of the yes just some of those pieces definitely rippled into our experience and um, yeah, yeah, talk like a lot of people had challenges being queer and being open in high Mm -hmm. school. And, um, and we were definitely a a majority white community. And so people who had other like ethnicities Mm. and races marginalized other like marginalized identities in general Mm. experienced a lot of um experienced a lot of trauma from that and from like biases that teachers had and that the system has um sort Mm. of in place that i think have been more addressed at the school since then but Mm. it was like yeah it was hard um and i think and i still have a lot of my classmates that I was really close to in high school are like, I can't 
go, I can't go to the Valley. Like I can't, I can't be there because it's really hard for me to, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I need yeah. to hold that boundary for myself to not, to not fall back into that trauma that I experienced. So, mm. yeah, that it, it really feels like your project, you know, is talking about a way, you know, new ways to include people and new ways to kind of talk about themes from different perspectives. And I, I, my sense is that, you know, in, when we think about our modern sensibilities, that seems to have been being woken up in my, when I was going through school and, you know, it just seems like there's this continuous awakening that's happening with who we are as individuals and, uh, you know, who we include in the conversation and who we don't. And yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a unique challenge presented to Waldorf teachers to do to be drawing on historical precedent within Waldorf education in what they're doing, while also really honestly seeing who's in front of them. And I think that ideally every year there should be something new and enlivened that is matching whoever's in front of you. Right. And Mm -hmm. I think that that is really hard. I mean, I, you know, I didn't teach for very long at all. And and the relief I felt when I got to teach the same class twice, it was like, oh, good, I've already done this. But that's the trap, right? That is the trap of, oh, I've already done this. So I don't have to bring it the same. Right. You know, I don't I don't actually have to be as present and as engaged and to be ready at any moment to say, oh, this is not meeting these people. I need to change what I'm delivering. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to, to hear you just really directly identify that. Cause I think that was also just more broadly generational. And, mm. and I felt like when I was in high school, the, you know, question of, of, of women and like, where are women in literature? Where are, you know, how are how are girls treated? How are, that was really present for us. And now I think that's even expanded to, you know, gender identity, to gender identity and different sexual orientations that weren't as, you know, were, were kind of shoved to the side and not talked about and not recognized. And I think that what, when I look back, I perceive that sometimes these things in such a small community can be, can be really heightened and brought to the forefront in a way that like, I, you know, I don't know about you, but I've spent a lot of time with classmates kind of unpacking, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and saying, what, yeah. what was that thing we all went through together? Yeah. You know, what, why, why were we so, you know, so infatuated with, with social hierarchy and why were we so, and, and maybe that's adolescence, right? right? But those things really, really ripple and they have such lasting and profound impacts on our lives. Um, and it's, I, I don't think it's unique to Waldorf schools, but I think that it's something that really bubbles up because it is, so, they're, they're typically really small and you're with people who both know you very, very well and also who see you as something who you were in fifth grade. <laughs> right. More static. Right. More yeah. static. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
So, and I think the other thing that I don't know how strong it is in other Waldorf communities, but that I experienced at Hawthorne Valley is that the people that are attracted to Waldorf school are like, there's like these sort of extremes of people. They're like at Hawthorne Valley, for example, there are all of these like cool, funky, hipster, uh, like alternative Brooklyn transplants and then there are also people who are like sort of traditionalist, mm-hmm. um, traditionalist, conservative. Um, yeah, like back, like back to the land mm-hmm. where sort of, I don't know, communities and they, and, and sometimes they clash and sometimes they mesh really well. And yep. um, they're, and like in all of these conversations, like, it's really, really hard. It's so hard to talk about. Like, I don't know if I, if this is, if it's worth bringing up, but like talking about vaccinations, talking about, um, yeah, race and talking about Christianity. Mm-hmm. There are all of these things that are clashes and disagreements. And I think they come into the high schoolers sort of, um, world, which way more obviously than lower school, middle school. I mean, we're coming into our egos, we're coming into ourselves, we're coming into like our identity and our opinions may clash with our parents now. And um, so, yeah, so those conversations came up in my class for sure. And I think that, um, I I think that that is one of the things that I was seeing in Freiburg when I was there that the students got some like organized they had some organized platform to share their perspectives on mm. some of these like sort of maybe more social um or community uh influencing decisions or yeah. um yeah, yeah ideas so that I think like that was the piece that, oh, okay, like we can be part of that. We can be engaged in these more challenging conversations now. Yeah. Uh, I think that's critically important. I agree. It, it builds, it builds, you know, social, you know, social ownership in, mm-hmm. in the community. And I, I'm so much in favor of student councils and yes. having a student voice in, in a, in a high school. Yeah. 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 And I, I'm remembering a conversation I had with a parent about, you know, them kind of voicing concern about, I think it was about maybe curriculum topics in the lower school and that, that they were concerned about the lack of, um, the lack of kind of, of, of broadness, right. That, that there was a perceived kind of, you know, like it being very Anglo, very European and, I think one thing that came up for me in that moment is kind of a a yes and 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 saying like mm-hmm. yes that is you know I I see that you're looking at it and that you perceive that there is there is a lack there but also and how are I think that a lot of people are really afraid right now that that there's been this 
this this kind of wellspring of awareness of like, hey, guys, you are a lot of us are surrounding ourselves with people who look like us, with people who talk like us, with people in the same financial status. And we're we're we are cocooning ourselves from the broader world. And how are we as individuals, as parents, going out into our communities and connecting with a broader group of people? And is that always the role of a school to do that? And I think there's mm -hmm. both. I think that as teachers, I felt like bringing, you know, more broad literature. Like when I looked at the ninth grade curriculum, I was like, OK, there's a novel that we read to talk about the structure of a novel. Well, great. <laughs> there are a lot of people who are not old white dudes who have written incredible novels that really appeal to young adults today. Let's bring in, you know, let's bring in some a different author than what was traditionally read. But also, mm -hmm. you know, what sports teams are your kids playing on, right? Are they playing with a bunch of people who live on your side of town? You know, who are you socializing with? I think that there's a it, it's scary to confront those things within ourselves, right? And and to look at yes. our own communities. Mm -hmm. And I I feel like in the past, you know, with all of these conversations that have come up around community and diversity and, and really, especially around Waldorf schools, then it, I also look to the individuals in the community of saying, okay, well, who is your community outside of this school? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Melissa, if you would, could you talk a little bit about your journey then after, um, you know, Waldorf High School and, and your, you know, what you're working on now, your career and, you know, anything you'd yeah. like to share about your current journey? Sure. Um, I, I, through after high school or in sort of senior year, I, there definitely was a, a, pressure or push. I don't know if it was specifically from my family or from the school to go to college. Mm -hmm. um, definitely some influence from family because there's like a, a tuition. Um, like I have a <clears throat> family, like for my grand grandmother, family tuition, like support such things putting in place. So it's like, if you go to school, then you can get it paid for. And so why not go to school? Um, so that was a big deal uh, and frustrating also because it was like all these, all of my peers were like, like, I don't know if I can go to school because I don't know if I can pay for it. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if I'm, what I'm going to do if I go to college. So anyways, I ended up going to massage therapy school for a year. Oh, nice. And got my license. But I had deferred also from regular undergrad college at a small liberal arts school in Burlington, Vermont. I wanted to go back to where I was originally. Um, and I, so then I ended up studying cultural anthropology and public health at St. Michael's College, which is the school in Vermont after I got my massage license. Um, then I worked as a massage therapist and studied anthropology and went to South Africa uh, in this the January of 2020 um, mm. studying public health and social policy and community health and uh, that was really awesome and interesting and then two months in they said um we don't know about this pandemic thing uh, <laughs> we, we would like you all to please return to your country 
so um <clears throat> yeah that was really interesting learned a lot uh also about sort of yeah what like colonial western um yeah. medicine does for communities and South Africa is a really interesting situation for that because there was like this, this overthrow of apartheid and like rejection of Western everything. Um, and then HIV, HIV and AIDS pandemic or epidemic in South Africa really was like devastating to the community just sort of 10 years after this, new system was put in place and um and like and because there was this rejection of western medicine people like the health minister was like well hiv is just this western idea it's not actually a real thing so anyways <clears throat> really interesting looking at where they are now and how they've integrated community sort of traditional medicine with um western sort of biomedical healthcare mm. uh, in in a way that works to some degree and other pieces are a little more challenging, but I think it's better than what we've got here. Mm. Um, and then, so I spent a year, basically 2021 in school, my last year in college in sort of the midst of COVID and uh, I had wanted to do maybe something Peace Corps-y, something abroad, sort of like middle of my college years. That was my idea of what was going to happen after college. But then during COVID, I was like, who knows what's going to happen? And I have no idea. Um, so I ended up going to work for an outdoor environmental education expedition sort of program in through New Mexico, based out of through New Mexico, which oh, is, wow. I don't know if y'all have heard of Cottonwood Gulch. Oh yeah, Cottonwood Gulch. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I'm there for two, two yeah, seasons. Um, and that was great. Learned a lot there. They also, yeah, just, I, I've also, like the other part of my life that <laughs> happened, I think more in, in college was I I was part of the like student guide service mm. basically for the um, students. So I did a lot of hikes and rock climbing um, yeah. leading. Cool. And so then I did more of that in, in the desert and mm. got very dried up and a little sunburned. Um, <laughs> a little crispy. <laughs> but learned a lot. Um, and, yeah, that's a special place in my heart too, for sure. Down mm. where y'all are. Nice. Um and then and then my partner said it was too cold in in Vermont. Um and I said it was too dry in New Mexico. And <laughs> so we <laughs> and so we decided to split the difference and move to Charlottesville, Virginia. Nice. Oh, nice. Um, so there's still some good mountains nearby. And we, I am working at a local boys and girls club. Uh, I've been here for the past year doing, doing educational sort of 
support and community building. Um, I also in college did a bunch of restorative justice work and was, um, that was sort of like where my anthropology led me. Hmm. Um, and so now just like for the past month, I've just started a new position at the boys and girls club where I'm, uh, I'm called the member success coordinator, but mostly looking at like behavioral behavior intervention and, um, yeah, what's going on behind, how can we support Mm. people's community? Yeah at the club is feeling supported and can can move forward. Um, And yeah, that's been interesting. I mean, I've also like in October, another piece for the behavior intervention is learning from my mom um, this approach, this handle approach, which is what the, with the crazy straws, the silly straws. Did you also um, do the um, the hula hoops on your hands where you have one and then you do two and then one? That's uh, interhemispheric integration right there. Um, so I, yeah, so this October, this past October, I took the like level three screener training and I'm finishing up the little, the end of that right now. Um, so yeah. I can bring two. Yeah, so a bunch of different things. Like, I feel like I'm a maybe classic Walder student (laughs) that I'm like, I'm just doing, and I'm, it's a part time job at the Boys and Girls Club. I'm also a massage therapist, too, part time. So, all the little tools in my pocket, and I, sometimes it feels hard because there, I see myself in like going into too many different futures. And sometimes it's really awesome because I feel like I have a lot of opportunity. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you ever see yourself going back and being a teacher of some sort or educational support or anything in a Waldorf school? I reject that less and less. <laughs> <laughs> <That's>, um, <laughs> the idea seems less and less preposterous the older I get. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think... Definitely. I was like, everybody does this. My family, this is like, I'm going to be different. I don't want to do this. Um, and, and right now the population that I'm working with at the boys and girls club, uh, is like such a different community and it's a really wonderful community, um, than communities that I have known at Waldorf, like in Waldorf communities. And so I don't know. I think it, I think I came into college, I think with a little bit of like Waldorf exceptionalism, um, sort of thinking that Waldorf, like it was a bias that I had unconsciously that, Mm -hmm. um, people were only sort of understanding the world the way I did if they had gone to Waldorf school or they Mm -hmm. were only like, I, I could only communicate certain things to people who hadn't gone to all their schools or, um, yeah, I had sort of like a them versus us, uh, idea of people who had not been to Waldorf school. Um, and I, yeah, I think I, I've been trying, I've been unlearning that and like, I've have 
amazing friends who weren't Waldorf students. Um, <laughs> Crazy, I know. <laughs> and, uh, so I think that's another piece. Is like I, I, I would like I think to bring what I have the the things that I have learned from the Waldorf communities that I have experienced into my life wherever that takes me and not yeah. necessarily choosing specifically to be in a world or yeah. community. I think um, that's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. What, um, if you had, what, do, what do you hope for Waldorf schools in the future? Like, what do you hope for change or for, for, um, yeah. What, what do you, because you've you've experienced it and you you came out with something and you've gone out into the world mm-hmm. and you've had that, you know, that thing that you experienced maybe tested or or validated or or stretched and and now where you are now what what would you maybe say that you hope for is like a greater Waldorf school movement going into the future. Yeah, well part of it is like accessibility. It's and that's just like sort of a symptom of our our greater systems that we are in. Um, I'm here. Um, yeah, it's it's tough. Like the financial situation is tough in in the U.S. especially. Yeah. Um, but I mean, even in in Europe, there is an extra cost to go to a Waller school in a lot of places. It's not as significant or great as it is here. Um, but so that's one piece. I, I wish it was more accessible. I think, um, I also like, I go back and forth with, there's sort of like a gatekeeping, um, in like Waldorf accreditation of schools. And my dad's part of that or has been part of that in places. And I think in some ways that's really important to keep some, uh, some like, regularity <laughs> among diff- among all the schools that are relatively independent um and like i think there are a lot of things that can be applied to other school systems that you can get from Waldorf pedagogy and you can like yeah. you can understand like child development from a Waldorf mindset and um apply that to wherever you are yes um so yeah. So, and I think there are a lot of like homeschool cooperatives and a lot of people who are doing that, a lot of charter schools, um, that that's sort of coming into, which is cool. Ugh, more hopes and dreams. I, I, yeah, I mean, continue to challenge the, the history and the context of like the European Christianity, um, that sort of underlies Steiner and um and his philosophies and um and and figure out yeah how can that how how are we I think uh, so anthroposophy is, is a whole other thing but Waldorf schools is where the greatest like general population interfaces with anthroposophical ideas yes mm-hmm. and so I think that's where Waldorf schools, Steiner schools have a responsibility to 
be really aware of how the anthroposophy is being understood and communicated to the community um, because that's another place where harm happens when people's identities uh, are maybe not fully seen by an anthroposophical, like by an interpretation of anthroposophy because it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily that anthroposophy, like the philosophy says, oh, like it's better to be Christian than Jewish or it's, but, but, but there are like there every are interpretations. Teacher, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And every everyone who is a teacher at a welder school has understood anthroposophy in some little way. Um, and yeah. some are more or less. And that's the part where I think there's a there's a huge responsibility mm-hmm. to the schools to yeah, to figure out how they're interpreting it and how they're communicating that back out to the community. Yeah, I think responsibility is the perfect word, that it is a responsibility. It is a responsibility. And also, you know, I I think that Steiner was always for being, especially at the high school level, being out in the world, being that first line, you know, interacting with what's happening in the world right now, being a modern human being, but also, as you're saying, have the responsibility to understand what that means, to be more conscious, to be more aware of the impact and, and, you know, what causes harm, you know, how do you, how do you alleviate that? How do you become more conscious, more inclusive and more, I would say, place-based. Like Mm -hmm. you mentioned earlier, Melissa, in the conversation that, you know, in, in the Northeastern United States, it's the native cultures seem more remote, more distant because there's just been more history there. And in places like the Southwest, you know, my street, uh, you know, my neighbors are Native American and Hispanic and Anglo, and we all live together. It's like, I see you going to work just as I'm going to work, you know? So I think part of it also is just becoming more and more connected to the place that the school is in or the community yes. is in. Yeah. And I think they're, you know, the, the financial piece is so huge. I know for myself, I'm really excited about the growth of charter schools as being, you know, meeting Absolutely. that accessibility. And I also, um, I totally lost my thought. So yeah, anyway, <laughs> sift <Sifway. laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, that is, I mean, in tuition-based models of education, you're always going to have those who can afford it and those yes. that you can't. And I too am really excited about the public charter Walder school movement. And, and I think you mentioned that you can bring aspects of Waldorf education you know, to a non-Waldorf community. And I think that's really true. I mean, festival life, building communities, all that stuff is very important. Child development, you also mentioned, Melissa, is also very important and can be brought. It really depends, I think, going back to what your mother did with the festival life and where you are and just and just having individuals kind of spark something out of themselves into the community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that courage, it takes a lot of courage to do that. I mean, yeah, yeah, we, it's weird. All their stuff is weird, like to conventional people. (laughs) And, and it doesn't have, it's like, yeah. And I, and I think it's, it's weird in this country because we are so individualistic. Right. And that the, the routine of community, you know, like families gather for holidays, but we don't have a lot of, um, 
community neighborhoods coming together. You know, we drive our own vehicles to work with the exception of a few major metropolitan areas with public transport. You know, there is definitely a perception in both places where I've lived in the, in the South of, you know, the public buses being somewhat dangerous, right? That, that like, oh, if you could, you would always take your car because it's more convenient, right? And, and none of these things foster community. And so I think that, like, that's what's, you know, people like to say, that is Waldorf, that is Waldorf, that is Waldorf. And it's like, well, it's only Waldorf because it's really radical based on culturally where we are. The idea of people coming together to celebrate the harvest is like the least radical thing in the world in so many parts of the world. And it probably isn't that radical if we look back in time. But Waldorf schools yeah. are radical in that even when you can still buy, you know, fruit and vegetables at any time of the year because of our global food market, that we're still celebrating the harvest and going back into tapping into the seasons. And I think that that that's something that anyone can do in whatever way, bringing in, you know, traditions that feel, you know, that feel relevant to their community or what, you know, what's mm -hmm. locally grown, right? There's so many ways to put a local twist on things. But the idea of like the idea of having some sort of candlelit ceremony around winter, like an Advent spiral, does not have to be an inherently Christian thing, yeah. right? So many of those traditions originally come from old Celtic, old pagan. There, there is this this possibility for for that those pieces, the community building pieces, to go outward without mm -hmm. having it be like I am bringing you a Waldorf thing, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Oh, man. This has been an amazing conversation. My mind is just like, <laughs> it's very cool. <laughs> I appreciate having this conversation. It's helpful to, yeah, and, and it's been helpful to, like, hear the podcast and hear other people's perspectives and experiences um, and what are the similarities and differences. Because it cool. is so distinctly individual. Right. Yep. It really is, regardless of, you know, the fact that... You know, every school uses Anthropos, which is the name of the Waldorf font, I learned. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> but, but you know, that, that there really is this distinct experience that each person has. Well, I want to just say thank you, Melissa, for, for contacting us and, 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 and coming on and being part of Hard Beeswax. I really appreciate you and you've brought a lot of insights that I, I'm going to be going away thinking about. Definitely. For sure, so... And and just lastly, oh. do you have any any questions for us? Not off the top of my head. I yeah. think I think we've had good conversations. <laughs> a great conversation. Come up, come up. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. thank you so much, and uh, we really we really appreciate you. And I'm I look forward to hearing what else you do out in the world. Yeah, me too. Would you like to be a sponsor on Hard Beeswax? Email us at hardbeeswax at gmail.com. That concludes another episode of Hard Beeswax. Thanks for listening. For episodes and more, please visit our website, hardbeeswax.transistor.fm.